the enemy wants is for us to be equipped for the work of ministry for us to be built up in such a way that the church may be strong and all the research coming out about the church in the west is that the church is at least is less attended but you also have less engagement all these things and the reason that is is because the enemy realizes that if the church is strong then the message of the gospel runs forth in the church effortlessly and with power Getting caught up in the hustle and bustle of day-to-day living, it's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle along with all the other things of life. When we neglect that area of our lives, we can fall short of God's best for us. Pastor Daniel's teaching will help to remind you that there's someone who doesn't want to see you get closer to Jesus and will do almost anything to stop you. Pastor Daniel is going to give you some tips for success. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Ephesians chapter 4 as he begins his message, What God Wants. So everybody knows what it's like to want something. Now leaving aside whether the things we want are good or bad, whether they're sinful or God-honoring, or whether God wants it for us or not, We all know what it's like to want something. And when you want something, if you want it to actually come to pass, you need to make a plan for it. Like I've heard it said that the difference between a goal and a dream is a plan. If you have a dream but you have no plan, it's just, it's in your head. But really, if you make a plan, then you can take something and it moves into a goal where it might happen. I remember for me, I've always loved playing music, and I remember when I was a freshman in college, I picked up the upright bass, mostly because I just thought, I saw a guy playing the upright bass, and I'm like, that guy is the coolest guy in this whole place. You know, he's had a big instrument, and I'm like, man, and I was an electric bass player, so I was like, man, I want to get an upright bass, and so sure enough, I went, uh, back in the day when you wanted to buy something, you went into a thing called a newspaper. Some of you know what that still is, right? And like some of the kids were like, what's a newspaper? But literally there was these classified things and I saw there was a thing, a woman was having a garage sale and in it she said an upright bass. So I was like, ooh. And so I, you know, I, I went to this lady's house and I was an early bird, which wouldn't normally be me, but I wanted this upright bass. So I got there about 30 minutes before she was supposed to start her sale and I said, hey, I saw in the newspaper you have an upright bass. Can I see it? She, she brought me in her house and it was in her son's closet. Her son was all grown up and she had like an old K, an American plywood base there. And I'm like, yeah, I want to buy that. And she's like, well, you know, how about $300? I'm like, perfect. Didn't even argue, you know, didn't even negotiate, just got it, brought it home, immediately had blisters all over my fingers, was not ready for it. And I remember it was a cool base and I was learning on it, but I was living in New Jersey, my home state at the time. And if you know, there's those extremes in weather, right? Where it's super hot and humid in the summer and super cold in the winter. And so by the time the winter hit, you know, the strings were like two and a half feet off the fingerboard. You know, it was just amazing. And I was studying with a guy, and he was like, hey, listen, you know, if you want to keep playing bass, you got to get a better bass than this, because this thing is just totally mangled. And so I remember I brought it to a guy who worked on instruments, and he's like, oh, yeah, this thing is toast. Like, he's like, you need a new bass. He's like, well, actually, I have a bass, and if you're serious about playing, I would consider selling you my bass. So he brought out his bass, which was a really cool bass. And I was like, ooh. 
Yeah, and you know what it's like if you ever go shopping for a house? They always say, don't ever look at houses outside of your price range. Ever, ever hear that wisdom? Because then the house is in your price range. You're like, I don't want to buy that. Like, I want this house, but I can't afford it. And so I did that with a base. It was a bad idea. I was like 19 years old at the time. So right away, I'm like, I need to get this base. And so what did I do? I said, I put a plan together. I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to get this base. And I remember part of it involved, at that time, I was, like, I was living at my parents' house still. It was like my last summer living at my parents' house. And I used to have to mow the lawn. That was part of my job. And as I got older, it went from like, hey, you're mowing lawn so you can sleep here and eat, to like, hey, we'll give you a little money. And so I was like, hey, dad, I really want to buy this base. And I did the math that, you know, I have to mow the lawn, whatever it was. I have to mow the lawn 15 times this summer. So can you pay me up front? (laughs) All the parents are laughing. You've had this conversation with your kids before. Totally, right? And so my dad's funny because my dad's like, oh, you want a base? Oh, you want me to prepay for all the work, huh? And then it comes out all the ways that I've been failing him as the lawnmower. Which is funny because he was literally, I was the kind of kid, I know you can imagine this, where it's like I would mow the lawn and then I'd get bored and then I wouldn't mow it for like three days and I'd mow the other half of the lawn. So like one part of the lawn was low and the other part of it was getting high. And my dad was like, listen, he's like, if I prepay, you have to mow it all in one sitting. I don't want any of this, like half one side of my house looks like it's groomed, the other side of it looks like it's overrun. You have to do all of it. And he was like negotiating with me. And if you don't do it, then you have to pay me the money back. But you know, I wanted that base more than I wanted to do the lawn in stages. And so, but I made a plan, I ended up with the base, and I played that base for years and years and years and years. Now, I bring that up because whether it's you want a base or whether it's, hey, I'm trying to get myself to this place in my life or, hey, I really want to lose 30 pounds or, hey, I really want to proceed in my career or whatever that thing is that you want, if you really, really want it and you want it to be something that comes to fruition, you have to make a plan on how to get that done. And I bring this up because there are things that God wants for you and for me, for his church. And what I love about the Lord is the Lord just doesn't have a dream about what he wants for his people, but God has a plan. And God's plan for what he wants to do in you and I, the church, the people of God, is he wants Jesus to be glorified. He wants us to be saved and then us to be set apart, that we grow and empowered that we might be this thing called church, which is not a building, but it's a group of people who've been called out. And you cannot talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit without realizing that what God wants, he also chooses to equip and empower for. So in this series that we're doing calling Gifted as we're exploring the gifts of the Spirit, It's so important for us to realize that the gifts of the Spirit are God's plan to bring about the purposes he has for all of our lives. So often when people, and we've been talking about how people argue about the gifts, arguing about it misses the point of the very intention for what God has for it. And so we're going to today take one of the main passages about the gifts of the Spirit, And really what we're going to see is we're not going to focus so much on the gifts, but we want to focus on what is it that God is after? What does God want? What is his goals in it? So in order to do that, open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take verses 11 to 16 together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Today we'll be in Ephesians 4. So it's uh, towards, you know, the last about quarter or 
fifth of your Bible, Paul's letters. Remember, you have in the New Testament, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts. Then you have Paul's letters, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. So, and of course, they haven't changed the ordering of numbers yet. So chapter 4 sits conveniently between chapters 3 and 5. Before we jump on in, what you need to realize about Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that Paul often writes his letters where the first portion is what we would call theology, the truth about God, and then the second portion is how do we apply it to our lives. So Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 is theology. This is who God is. This is what he's done in Jesus. And then 4 to 6, how do we live this stuff out? What does this mean for us at street level where we live? And so Ephesians 4 is that. And it begins in verse 1 by saying, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. So really what he's saying is I want, you know, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, I want you to walk in such a way that is worthy of being called by a God who would send his son on a rescue mission for us. There's that part of me that's like, man, I could just end the sermon right there. If all of us just leave and say, Lord, will you empower me to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called, everything starts to change. Who we are changes, how we look at our lives, how we look at our marriages, how we look at our recreation. Everything can be summed up in, am I walking worthy of the calling with which I was called? But really, he focuses in on this idea of humility, Because the big problem in us walking worthy of the calling with which we were called is pride. It gets in the way. Whether we use the psychological term, we call it ego. The Bible calls it flesh. It gets in the way for all of us. And so we have to walk humbly. But then, as is always the case, we have this tendency, well, if I have to be humble, then maybe I don't bring anything to the table. I've always said this, right? Martin Luther said, I paraphrase, that Christians can be like drunk people. We fall off either one side of the horse or the other side. Now, back in the day, they didn't have cars, and so praise God, but you know, you can imagine, it's hard to sit on the horse. Like, we have a tendency to just kind of swing either or. And so, to not leave us there, then immediately it gets into the fact, and this is in verse 7 of Ephesians 4, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's saying, even though I want you to be humble, I want you to walk worthy of what you were called, but actually each one of us has been given some gifts according to the measure of Christ's grace. Then in verse 11, it says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we see that each one of us has been given a gift and then by the time we get to verse 11, we realize that we've each received some specific gifts, the church as a whole. Now, if I want to frame verses 11 and 12, I would say it this way, that what God wants is God wants us equipped. 
He wants us to be equipped. And how does he do that? For he himself, it says in verse 11, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the what? Equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. So you can't talk about the gifts of the Spirit without talking about the fact that he gave certain people or roles as gifts to the church to equip the church. Because what he wants, it's not about the roles, it's about God's purpose in all of us being equipped. Now, as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, many times we want to have kind of frameworks to understand the gifts. And there was a time when I was younger that I really liked the frameworks. That I wanted to make sense of it all. As I've gotten older, I'm less inclined to the frameworks because in the beginning when you're younger, you want everything to make sense. And then when you get older, you realize that all the things that you did to make things make sense, they don't really make that much sense. It's like you're too rigid in your structure. So as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, some people have broken them into speaking gifts, serving gifts, power gifts, and people or role gifts, of which apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are that role gift. Other people break it up into manifestation gifts, ministry gifts, and motivational gifts. Other people break it up into miraculous gifts, enabling gifts, and team gifts. And I could do this all day. Give you everyone's framework on all the different ways they break them down. What's interesting about it is all the different ways we break them down are trying to make it make sense. Certain things are word-related. Certain things are how we serve. Certain things are unique gifts of power. And then, of course, you have people and roles. And Ephesians 4, 11 gives us some of these role gifts, these idea of these ministry gifts. And what's interesting here is that all of these gifts of the Spirit are actually people. Now, if you look at the list, some people, depending on what church tradition you grew up in, some people call this the five-fold gifts. But really, what you find is you have apostles. Now, people say, well, who are the apostles? Well, of course, you know from your Bibles, Jesus chose 12 apostles, and then Judas committed suicide because he betrayed Jesus, and then they inserted Matthias, remember, in Acts chapter 1, and then the Apostle Paul's like, ah, I'm popping in there later. He's an apostle made without time. And we've talked about this here before, that really there's kind of 13 apostles, just kind of like there's 12 tribes of Israel, but is there 12 tribes? No, there's kind of 13 because then Jacob... I just nerded out real quick, sorry. You know, Jacob adopted Joseph's two sons, so depending on how the land is being allotted, sometimes it's just some and some not others. But in a sense, there's only those apostles. But apostle is one who is sent. And if you look at the Great Commission, in a sense, we're all apostles. We're all called to go and make disciples. We're not the 12, but we, that idea of being people who are sent still exists. Of course, you have prophets. And we have biblical prophets, we have Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. And then, of course, you know, there is people who function in the prophetic today. I like to define prophets as people who call into question the status quo and then give a vision for a more glorious future. That's a paraphrase of Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament theologian. Notice that a prophet is not someone who just bags on everyone for not being perfect. That's just called being critical. But a prophet not only calls it into question, but says, this is the vision that God has for a more beautiful future. So you have prophets. You have evangelists, those who proclaim the good news. 
We have all sorts of biblical examples of this in the New Testament. And then we have people today who function with kind of a unique evangelistic giftings. I have people sometimes say, Fusco, you have an evangelist gifting. I don't believe that. I just believe I'm obedient to be an evangelist. Like my friend Greg Laurie, many of you know him, the, the Jesus Revolution movie is about him. He's got a unique gifting of evangelism. Billy Graham, a unique gifting. You go back historically, people like D.L. Moody, unique giftings for evangelism. But in a sense, just the way we're all called to be apostles, all of us should live prophetically, and all of us should live evangelistically. All of us should be people who are bringing forth the good news and inviting people into the life with Jesus. It doesn't need to be an evangelist. Then, of course, you have pastors, which literally, it's a job description. It means to be a shepherd. And I'll be honest with you, I believe that all of us are called to shepherd. We shepherd people in our families. We shepherd people in our jobs. It's why here at Crossroads, as a really large church, we love having so many people in groups because you shepherd one another through life. Things go on in someone's life and their small group comes around them. And so even though they're unique people who are called to be pastors in local churches, all of us are called to have that heart of Jesus to want to care and shepherd and tend and feed people. And, and then, of course, you have teachers, those who have a unique gift of teaching. But if you've been around here at all, you realize that we're all students and so we're all what? Teachers. All of the things that we know, we're all sharing life. And so even though these are five unique roles within the local church, I actually believe that there are things that all of us should be able to walk in. Even if we don't have the title from a local church, should be part of who we are. Why? Because if you're born again, the spirit of God dwells in you. And the spirit of God loves to work in these ways. Because why? Why has God given these roles, these ministry roles? for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Because what God wants is he wants us to be equipped. He wants you to be equipped, and he uses these spiritual gifts as a way to accomplish it. Listen to Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See that? God has given his word so that we might be equipped. Now, if God's desire is for us to be equipped, the enemy's desire is for you and I to be ill-equipped, to show up without the equipping that we need. And what I think is so important about this is that so much of our world today is actually designed to ill-equip people for the life that God has for them. And if you're here, and I realize, and I always say this, here at Crossroads, I realize not everyone here is a follower of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm super happy that you're here, and I want you to grow here with us. But unabashedly, we want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. We can't make anyone do anything, but our goal is for you to take that step. But what I want to tell you is if you're here and you're a believer, so much of our life is designed in the world in which we live to undermine the equipping of what God has for our lives. The last thing the enemy wants is for us to be equipped for the work of ministry, for us to be built up in such a way that the church may be strong. And all the research coming out about the church in the West is that the church is 
at least is less attended, but you also have less engagement, all these things. And the reason that is, is because the enemy realizes that if the church is strong, then the message of the gospel runs forth from the church effortlessly and with power. And so, so much of what goes on in society, and not just contemporary society, you can look at any generation in any society, there is always the undermining of the people of God. And what the enemy of your soul wants is for you not to be equipped. He'd rather you have more passion for binge watching something on a media on demand channel than for you to be tearing the cover off of your Bible. I mean, it's amazing. It's like, like, I don't have any time to serve, but I can do insert a bunch of things. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I don't want to make a false dichotomy. But when we realize that what God wants is for us to be equipped, that each one of us goes on into life as a minister. And he wants to undermine that at every turn. And so often we have this tendency to say, well, you know, we do ministry in church, but then when we're not in church, then it's like we're just doing the secular work. But actually, Ephesians 4.12 won't let us say that that the people of God are equipped to serve in Jesus' name. And I'm here to tell you, whatever your role is in life, whether you're a school teacher or you work for the public works department, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're retired or you're a business owner or you work at the airport or wherever you are, you are in the ministry. And God places the church together so that we might equip one another so that we can go into the world as salt and light in Jesus' name. That's what God wants for us, and that's why God has given us the gifts of the Spirit. I made the joke that, you know, as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, people can get really angry about it, they fight about it, but almost always the fight happens from pastors who are also called here as spiritual gifts. So it's amazing that, like, they like their gift, just nobody else's. See, I just call those pastors out just like that. You know? But it's interesting. It's like, it is a spiritual gift to teach. But they're like, yeah, really like teaching. But oh, none of those tongues. That's just too weird. As if God didn't create all the languages anyway. You know that, Lord? He's just so scary like that. But really what we learn here is that God wants us to be equipped. Now, here's what I just want to ask you. Are you equipped for the work of ministry? One of the things that I've learned, I was talking about music before. When I was pursuing music as a career, every day when I would play my bass, I'd practice, I'd go play a gig, I'd play in an orchestra, I'd do all this stuff. Every day I'd come back and I'd see all sorts of holes in my technique, my playing. Couldn't sight read, couldn't do this. Hit a passage, couldn't play it. And if you really want to be proficient at something, you realize where your holes are, and then you go home and you work on them. And I'm here to tell you the same thing is true spiritually, my friends. Jesus is real. God has been so kind to us, so merciful to send his son to redeem us from the world of sin, and then to put us in his family. Wow. Pastor Daniel's advice to us to live in a way that honors God's sacrifice is certainly something we should remember. And that God has given all of us gifts that are useful to other people to help this family of believers, that's something for us to discover so we can show God our gratitude. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about these spiritual gifts that God's made available to us as he continues his teaching, What God Wants. You're going to hear about how to become integrated into God's community of his followers. Pastor Daniel is going to talk about the importance of God's people being unified around the service of Jesus while allowing for differences in personality and styles of worship. There's more to come for Pastor Daniel's series called Gifted. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.